Parsha, this, this is not a Parsha class. That's the last night. One night is Parsha class. This is just we take topics. And this week's topic is a very difficult topic. <laughs> this week's topic is a very difficult topic. It's a question of title is Tzoros, why God, why? Tzoros is the Yiddish word for suffering. And the question is why? There have been many, uh, many different uh, books written on this. One of the famous ones you may have all heard, which actually is the first time I ever gave a class about this, was because of that book. I had a serious problem with that book, and I'm not judging him. He never uh, lost a child. But that was uh, Kushner. Harold Kushner wrote a book on... Uh, yeah, and it's, uh, it's obviously a very difficult topic. I'm going to share with you today a whole different perspective on it. But I need to first clarify something in way of in way of uh, introduction. Some questions are best left unanswered, plain and simple. Sometimes, when you answer a question, you're doing the wrong thing. There is a uh, family I uh, become close with, a family well known in the community that uh, a terrible thing happened, not to get into all the details, the daughter, a marvelous young lady of a promising future, ends up on a simple operating table, one that's done every 20 minutes in the hospital, a sinus uh, operation, something goes wrong, and unfortunately, she ended up, uh, literally I think she was legally dead on the table, ended up heart failure, brain failure, ended up with a stroke, and her life obviously has changed radically. The mother is sitting with me, and at one point the mother asks me, Rabbi, why? Why did God do this to my daughter? And in response, I asked her, and if I could give you a reason, is that what you want? Is the answer going to help you? Is that what's missing here? And after that you'll be able to deal with the situation? Sometimes it's best to leave questions unanswered. Sometimes the question is the hope. Sometimes the question is the answer. It's how the people deal with it. And trying to find an answer, even though the mind seems to be shouting, just give me something, something so I can deal with this. And actually it would be the worst thing for the mind if you gave an answer. Previous Rebbe was sitting with the Rosh Hashiva and he was bemoaning the Holocaust with questions of why. If I remember correctly, at one point the previous Rebbe went so far as to say, and if God is trying to teach us something, it failed because obviously we didn't get it. So the question why was deep. Why? Why did this happen? The Rosh Hashiva sitting there started uh, giving answers, justification, do you know what was going on in Germany then, what the Jews were doing, and da da. And the previous Rebbe stopped, looked at him, and said, God doesn't need any lawyers. <laughs> the question, not every question needs to be answered. And in this topic, sometimes answering the question is denying the person 
the only connection and way that he or she may have to deal with the situation. You know, before I uh, went with my class to Venezuela for two years, I was the first Lichut. And uh, we had a Fabrengen with Rabbi Manus Friedman. Many of you may have heard him speak already. He's a marvelous speaker, a very, uh, very interesting thinker. And he was telling us something very interesting. He was telling us that sometimes a person will come over to you and tell you, Rabbi, I have this question that has been bothering me for years. I have asked so many rabbis, so many scholars, so many wise people, and no one has ever answered me this question. And I want to discuss it with you. Maybe you can explain it to me. Were you people listening to what he just said? Yes. What he actually said is, don't you dare answer me this question. (laughs) Sometimes, when you're dealing with a person who asks questions that isn't just simple questions, what do I do, what don't I do? But sometimes when you're dealing with a person who's asking a very deep question of faith, answering him or her would be robbing them from the only connection they have with God in this situation. What the previous Rebbe was telling the Rosh Hashiva is that God can handle it. God can handle the situation. You don't need to justify God. He doesn't need that. So many times when people sit down to talk with me, and that's what I learned from Rabbi Manus Friedman, I've carried it with me for forever. It's opened up in a whole new understanding of communication and caring for people. Sometimes when people tell you, I need to meet with you, I need to speak to you, I need to hear from you some advice. Sometimes, not shall I repeat that, not sometimes, shall I say most times, what they really need is nothing more than for you to validate their questions. For you to validate their right to be in pain. Their right to be bothered by the situation. Sometimes that's really the best thing you can do for them. So what I'm really doing in way of introduction is telling you that maybe what needs to be done here is not to answer this question. Maybe if even I were possibly capable of even giving an answer to this question, maybe it would be the greatest unfairness that I would do to you. Maybe I would rob from you the only possibility you have to deal with it. Maybe what needs to be done is to be able to live in the question instead of hurting for an answer a different approach to the topic we're dealing with right now. So what I'm really telling you is three reasons why most probably it would be best if we reconsidered whether we should answer this question. Number one, we may be robbing the person, ourselves, from the only way of dealing with the situation. Maybe we need to be able to live in the question rather than thinking 
that bliss will come with the answer. Number two, maybe, really maybe we need to start thinking that God isn't that small. God can cope with us having questions, powerful, strong and painful questions to Him. Maybe we don't need to answer His questions at all. And then, maybe questions of this nature is really the answer itself. Is the answer itself. What? Is the answer itself. Yes. So my question is, why are we here? Yeah. <laughs> what is this lecture all about? <laughs> I want to share with you what this lecture is all about. It's going to get difficult. You know, there's a person who comes to my class for years. And he would often tell me something which was very interesting. He would say, Rabbi, I believe that God in the Torah gave us the answer and then told us, now go figure out the question. <laughs> it was an amazing thought. It took me a long time to even be able to hear that thought until this very day. At moments that thought becomes very elusive to me. I want to tell you what this lecture is really all about. This lecture is not about answering the question, but this lecture is really about giving us different perceptions of the question. And the reason why we need different perceptions of the question is because certain understandings at different moments in your life will not suffice. So maybe understanding the question of why God why in one way may help for today's state of mind. But maybe on another day, I'm just going to be in a different state of mind. And maybe the understanding of the question that I had yesterday was enough for me to live with. Today, I need to reconstruct my perception of the question. Every human being is not just black and white. Every human being is made up of a multitude of facets. And every single moment of our life, there's a different part of our beautiful infrastructure that is actually dominating our being. And therefore, from that perspective, for different moments of our life, we really need to revisit the perception of the question. So what I'm actually suggesting here is that instead of struggling and trying to be convinced that if only I would have the answer to suffering and pain, then and then alone will I be able to find comfort in my God, comfort in my life, comfort in my purpose. That really, believe it or not, is the weaker approach. The stronger approach is, let me revisit the question, because the question in itself may be the journey of our life. So let's go ahead and reconsider what was I thinking when I did that krechs, God, why, why, God, why? What was I asking? I want to give you one more general statement and then we're going to move on to the class.
a story. I may have shared the story with you previously. The Magid, the Mavritra Magid students who are known as the Chavraya Kadisha, the Holy Chavra, the Holy Society. Not like Chavra Kadisha that does the burial societies, but they were called the Chavraya Kadisha. And they were having an interesting discussion. A discussion that when I first heard the story I was a little taken back. That Sadiqin would think this way, Sadiqin would talk this way. Righteous men, holy men. They were having a discussion of, if I were God, what would I do differently? Now that is an amazing conversation to hear righteous tzaddikim who live in absolute faith and acceptance pondering. So, they started with the oldest student, of course, that's the way of respect in the yeshiva. The oldest student, then you make your way down to the youngest student. Uh, each student is talking about what they would change. One student is talking about he would change. Why do young children, they're definitely innocent. Why should they be suffering? And another one's talking about poverty. And another one's talking about war. And another one's talking about evil. And then they finally reach the youngest of all students, known as the Alter Rebbe of Schneer Zalman, the founder of Chabad Lubavitch. And he said as follows. If I were God, I would do exactly what he's doing because then I would understand why he's doing it. I just wanted to present that on the table now before we even deal with the question. It's the ultimate being okay with the question. Knowing that if I were God, I would do the exact same thing because then I would understand what God understands. Now let's move on to the question. You know, the first thing that came to mind, I'm sitting over there working on this lecture is that probably, and I'd say this probably, I'm not generalizing everyone in the room, but more times than not, what I'm getting from people when we start talking about this topic is, come on Rabbi, just be straight up with us. It's about punishment, right? Suffering is about punishment. If you're suffering, it's because you're being punished for something. Why else would you be suffering? I truly respect that perception of the question. I want to share with you that sometimes, and we'll soon talk when and how, that perception is what you need to live with for certain moments of your life. But I want to first validate this perception. I want to make it Judeo, because it may smell of other religions where there's damnation, punishment, suffering, Ultimately, we were born to sin, born from sin. The only salvation we have is death. We're not talking about that. Let's straighten out the perception for a moment. Maimonides, in his book, Mishneh Torah, his book of Jewish law, he discusses all 613 commandments plus the seven rabbinical ordinances. In the laws called Hilchot Tanit, he's talking about the laws of fasting. Chapter 1, Law 2, and then Law 3. It is of the Jewish way, and I'm paraphrasing, it is of the Jewish way to believe that in times of trouble we need to pray to God. We must focus that why are we suffering it is an outcome and effect of our evil actions. Number one. 
law number three that's the next law it is the Jewish way to believe so as the verse states and because of your sins etc and to not think this way is achzorius achzorius is mean evilness, cruelty it is to cleave to your evil actions and to have sufferings cause sufferings and therefore the way out of this is to pray to Hashem and to do Teshuvah Maimonides is not up for to validate or to argue Maimonides in Judaism is absolute truth so this isn't no more up to discussion whether it is Jewish thought to think and perceive suffering as punishment but we need to revisit this we need to revisit this because even here when we are discussing that we should view suffering as punishment if you are suffering, if I am suffering it is God giving me a patch that's what it is, that's what Maimonides is saying and therefore the way to handle it the way to deal with the situation is to accept that God allows us to do teshuva God allows for prayer we change our ways and we redefine what happens in our life but even here it is very important to perceive this from a Hasidic perspective we are not into this focus of absolute damnation God is mean, God is strict but nevertheless I do need to again validate what's going on here there is a mitzvah in the Torah that Hashem Elokecha Tira you shall fear God your God Judaism is not all about love it's also fear both of them are absolute commandments you need to love God and you need to fear God and while most of us would like to have the perception that Judaism is all about love not so is the case there is an absolute need of fear and for those people who are in the shul excuse me are in the shul and come to my lectures you have heard me say again and again and again as a parent you are robbing your child of the only gift you can offer him or her if you're their friend instead of their parent there needs to be a fear factor between child and parent period politically correct HRS is going to have problems with it their issues not ours as a parent you need to be a parent parent depends upon a relationship of love and fear there needs to be a fear of hurting mommy's feelings there needs to be a love to fulfill what our parents ask us to become with that said let's discuss this mitzvah of Yirat Hashem ABC fundamental level Yirat Hashem fear of God is defined as Yirat HaOnish plain and simple you should be afraid of the punishment how many times do I have people telling me I'm afraid God's going to strike me down with lightning for saying this, for doing this that's an okay thought <laughs> huh? that is a mitzvah Yirat Hashem 
whether it's pleasant, whether it sounds nice or not, it's a fact. It's in the book. It's a mitzvah just like do not steal, keep Shabbat, keep kosher. Actually, it's not just a mitzvah like that. It's actually from the six fundamental mitzvahs, which talks to the heart, not just the action. And therefore, the Yirata Onish means simply be afraid of punishment. It's very simple. You do this, you're going to get punished, you should be afraid of that. There is retribution. But that is a very elementary and fundamental fear from which we must grow and develop. Because from there we must enter into a different fear which is called Yirat HaRomemot, Yirat HaVoshet. Two different type of fears. For those of you in the room who have had the great privilege and merit to be able to stand face to face with the Rebbe of blessed memory. With the Rebbe of blessed memory. There was a fear. There was an absolute awe when you stood in front of the Rebbe. One time the Rebbe's mother actually saw when the Rebbe came out of the car, the Chassidim were running. And she said, why, why are you running away? I know him. He's a good man. <laughs> That's what the Rebbe Sakana said. Why were we running away? Because there's a fear that doesn't come from retribution, mean, strict. There's a fear that comes from the awe of exaltedness, of greatness. It came to a point where it was a fear of shame. You felt so minute, so insignificant in the face of such infinite greatness. Now that is a more mature fear. Because fearing retribution is not fearing God, it's fearing what God can do to you. Fear and awe of God's greatness, the type that leads to an infinite shame of not being all you can be, and even there realizing that I, that I am a speck of humanity in the face of the greatness of God, that's a more mature fear. That's not a fear of what can you do to me, that is a fear of you, capital Y, you, God. So understand that this fear of retribution and seeing retribution and suffering as a form of punishment is absolutely Jewish thinking. And it's okay. And even when you mature into greater fears that I'm not fear, afraid of what God will do to me, rather I'm afraid of God Himself, even in those moments, don't think that it's time to get rid of the baby shoes. Oh, I'm not afraid of punishment no more. Remember how we started. We are not black and white. We have mood swings. I actually share with you, I write to someone that my mood swings have gone from seasonal to monthly to daily to hourly. <laughs> we, are, we are products of mood swings, whether you want to look at it from a scientific point of view of what you eat, simple chemical. We are process of hormones. We have different moods. And yes, sometimes the experience we have of ourselves is obnoxious. Who says? I want to do it. It's the shoulder move. Those who have children know it very well. At that time, it's absolutely okay to simply define Yirata Onish as the question of why God, why? 
you're punishing me, I've done something wrong. It's okay to live with that perception of the question because right now you're not someone to talk to. Right now you're being obnoxious. And obnoxiousness needs to be dealt with in a whole different fashion. It's not lovey-dovey, it's very simple. People suffer because they're obnoxious and they do things that are wrong. And cause and effect, we have retribution. And sometimes you need to talk to yourself that way. Because at that moment you're being nothing more than obnoxious. So what God? I don't care. Sometimes that's okay. It's perfectly Jewish and pleasant to be able to know that I can deal with those perks of my being with a simple perception of Soros. Why God? Why? Why am I suffering? Why am I being punished? That's an okay interpretation. You're going to forgive me, but I'm going to run a monologue by the end. I'm open. I'm not running away. Okay? So in this concept of understanding suffering as punishment, as retribution, as the effect of my actions, the question of why God, why, is a very powerful tool to deal with my obnoxious side. It's a very practical tool of saying, what do I need to change? And yet, again, I want to tell you that this thought, this perception of the question needs to be perceived in a Hasidic fashion. Not one that is solely Musardic of you are going to be punished and if you eat that non-kosher, your body is going to be eaten by worms and yada yada. We don't need to experience the question of why am I being punished simply as so black. There is a different beautiful tone to what Maimonides is saying. Firstly, every moment and experience in my life is a communication with God. Maimonides writes that to write off any suffering as, oh it's the ways of the world, just was in the wrong place at the wrong time, coincidence is axorious, cruel. And what he's telling us here is, on the first basic level, realize that every moment and experience of your life is a communication with God. You are never left out just hanging. There is never things that happen to you because they just happen. There is an awesome, an awesome comfort in knowing that every moment of my life there's a communication. God is giving me experiences and I am responding. And if I just learn how to listen to those experiences, God's directing me. I will tell you that unfortunately in today's generation, some of the greatest pains I'm dealing with children is that they are begging to have retribution. I will share with you something that's not in my notes. A story that happened and was related to me by the father. The child is in a very, very difficult problem. He simply presently needs psychological help. A young boy. A young boy that the police had to arrest. The child got violent. The child threatened to hurt the mother. The mother called the police 
the police came hoping just to scare him. He got violent with the police. He was subdued. He was brought into the hospital and was under forced observation. Under forced observation. The father and the mother are in the hospital room. The father tells me that I, if I would do such a thing and call the police on my kid, my wife clearly told me that she would kill me. But she could do it. Letting you just know a little bit of background of what's going on here. Then he tells me, says, Abrumi, tell me, I don't get it. He's sitting there in the hospital room because of his mother under guard. He's hugging his mother, giving me the middle finger, using the F word to me. And I'm sitting there thinking, what are you doing? It's your mother that did this to you. You're hugging her and you're cursing at me. And I told him, do you want me to answer you? He said, yes. I said, how can your child not hate you if he knows that you're too afraid and won't do what needs to be done for him? Of course he's hugging the mother. And of course he's cursing at you. I deal day in and day out with children that are begging, screaming, yearning for responsibility, accountability, and retribution. So really when we think about this relationship with Hashem, when we think about this perception of the question, why God, why am I being punished? There is a very deep embrace which is taking place between you and God, God and you. You are conscious that A, everything that happens in your life, every drop of pain, every drop of suffering is not by chance, it is a communication with God. And then you go to the next step and you realize that this communication is one of education. You're seeing in this form of perception of the question, suffering is punishment, to be able to perceive it as a true chassid, and not as someone who lives in negativity and, and just strictness and coldness. You need to be able to first and foremost see this perception of the question as you and God having a child-parent relationship. Period. And now I want to share with you what happened between me and my son, my son and I. It was a Shabbos. And I just want to tell you that often I tell my children, I see you having a problem controlling your Yetzahara, your evil inclination. If you want, I can help you, but it's not going to be the pleasant way. I'm asking you, please take care of it by yourself. They understand that I just threatened them with a patch. <laughs> so, this story happens on a Shabbos. A patch took place. We end up sitting on the front steps to the shul. My son and I are talking. My son asks me, What do you gain by patching? Why do you patch? What does that help? Me. That's a good question. <laughs> And I need to answer it. That, huh? At the time he was ten. Still a patchable age. 
I'm 38. Convince my father I'm not a possible age. <laughs> but anyway. I tell him that's a good question. That's a question that needs to be answered. And this is what I share with him. Son, life is a journey of having to control the Yetzirah. And when you don't control your Yetzirah, to me it means that I now see that listening to your Yetzirah has become the path of least friction. It is human psychology to always choose the path of least friction. And therefore it is my job to create friction for you to listen to the Yetzirah. That's why I give you a patch. And he asked me, that's why you give me a patch? And I answered him, yes. Optimal would be if you understand why you shouldn't listen with the, to the Yetzirah. But I have now afforded you that the next time the Yetzirah comes to bother you, you have a solid understanding of why you should not listen to him even if you don't understand why not. That is the only reason for any form of punishment. Those are one of the beautiful moments in my life with my son where we walked into the shul, back into the shul, a lot stronger in relationship than we walked out of the shul. All of a sudden it became clear to him that my patching him or any form of punishment has nothing what to do with my anger and it's all about having to do with his being strong. Please understand that if you are hitting or punishing your child because of your anger, you are being abusive. Please understand that if you are hitting or punishing your child in any form of punishment in education to empower him with the strength of creating friction so that it be the path of least friction for him or her to actualize self-control then you are being a parent which is educated. I now want to revisit again that perception of the question. Soros, why God, why? Why are you punishing me? Where have I allowed that listening to the Yetzirah is the path of least friction? How are you empowering me with giving me the strength to be able to tell the Yetzirah, sorry, it simply doesn't pay? Where do I take that this perception of the question, why God, why, suffering equals punishment, is actually a moment to walk back into shul feeling so secure, so embraced, such love. So what I'm telling you here is that it is absolutely okay to be able to Jewishly define the question in the perception of why God, why? Why are you punishing me? Where have I allowed my Yetzirah to win? And the necessity to understand this perception 
is to feel the parent-child relationship to feel that God is educating, we're in dialogue, we're in communication it is never about God's anger it's never about God having the last say it's always about the child, me it's always about my becoming stronger my being educated my being in God's embrace even when I'm botching up that's the perception of the question why God why when you define suffering as punishment if you look at my notes the next piece is in brackets I wasn't sure whether this is the time or place to share this thought or not so I'm going to be brief because the real class is about to begin when we turn into the Kabbalistic understanding of why God why but I do want to just complete this Maimonides approach and I want to emphasize it is so easy when you define why God why as suffering equals punishment to create a very negative relationship with God so I've again I've again offered you what my teachers have given me in understanding that Rambam Rambam wasn't your old frail rabbi with a long beard which didn't have a sense of humor standing with a ruler waiting for you to hold your hand like that that's not Rambam that's not Rambam's God that's not Rambam's Judaism so that's what I've offered you here an insight from a Hasidic set of lenses into why God why suffering equals punishment can be an absolute moment of feeling embraced and loved and then I share with you a story a cute story it's a story of my teenage life my teenage life I used to go every Friday to put on Tefillin on 47th Street with certain offices different buildings, there was number building number one, this floor building we always knew which ones each boys went to, we went pairs of two I come into one of the offices, the diamond cutters and one of the other guys tell me by the way, do you know that Yehuda's wife is expecting? From a brief conversation with Yehuda, I realized that past pregnancies have been issues. <coughs> so I asked him, Yehuda, would you like to write a request for a blessing from the Rebbe that the pregnancy go well, child and mother be healthy? And Yehuda tells me, actually, Abrumi, yes, I would like that on the condition that the Rebbe will not make no conditions with me you want to bless me, bless me don't give me this put on tefillin and I'll bless you, keep Shabbat you want to bless, bless, you don't want to bless, don't bless I did tell you this is a teenage story so I told him, Yehuda my dear friend, with all due respect as long as you'll be asking the Rebbe for blessings he'll be giving you conditions and not you him can you live with that? coming from a teenage purity of heart which I really meant it with simple love I wasn't offended I wasn't trying to offend so the answer came across in its purity and it did soothe and calm the Israeli streak within him <laughs> and then we began talking I asked him, tell me Yehuda have you done any research on the Rebbe? you know the Rebbe you've done research, you know of him, you've read about him yes sir for me have you had any person testify, any reading, even alluding to the fact 
that that's the way the Rebbe is. He waits till you need him. Oh, now you need me. Now, let's start talking. <laughs> Have you ever read that about the Rebbe? He said, no. No, I've never, any of my friends' experiences with the Rebbe, absolutely not. So I said, then why does the Rebbe do that? Why does the Rebbe tell you, you want a blessing? Put on fill and it'll be okay. Just say it, it'll be okay. And let the Rebbe go pray and fast. <laughs> The answer is, which I later on in Venezuela actually had the merit to see that answer in a letter from the Rebbe to a teenage girl. The answer is as follows. The Rebbe has a simple mathematical equation. God is good plus God does good. Equals your suffering. We have a problem. There's something wrong with this mathematical equation. God is good plus God does good and you're writing me a letter that you're experiencing bad pain. There's a problem here. And the Rebbe's answer to this problem is it's always in the pipes. There are 613 pipes through which God's goodness reaches you. And as you all know from the plumbing system that if the pipe is clogged then instead of reaching destiny it reverts back. Not a pretty sight. So the Rebbe is telling you, you're telling me that you're having pain. God is good. God does good. God loves you. Why are you experiencing pain? The answer is, you need to strengthen the pipe. Put on tefillin. Light Shabbos candles. That's a pipe. You clean that pipe. You keep it healthy and strong. And the blessing to flow through that pipe comes along with the letter. So I'm just offering you one last little corner of the perception why God, why suffering equals punishment that the Rebbe's question isn't why am I being punished? Rather the question is why isn't God's goodness naturally reaching me? An interesting different twist on the very same perception of the question. And now it gets hard. The Alter Rebbe discusses in Tanya this question of depression from suffering in two areas. Chapter 27, the Alter Rebbe talks about it and immediately divides the definition of suffering, depression of suffering in two categories. Suffering physically, suffering spiritually. And the Alter Rebbe donates 19 lines approximately to the suffering of physically. That's it. And then he goes on for chapters about spiritual suffering. <laughs> and those lines are very difficult lines. The Alter Rebbe again discusses the issue in a letter in part 4 of his book. A letter entitled Askil Chabina. That letter is a painful, difficult letter to understand. At one point in that letter, the Alter Rebbe has the question of how could a human being even perceive, how can it enter his mind that he is experiencing bad and suffering? A question that's followed with an exclamation mark more than a question mark. That's how difficult it gets there. Parenthetically speaking, I quickly tell you a story that Mendel Futafas, who unfortunately had to bury more than just one of his children. When he comes out of Russia, he's in England and a daughter is killed in a car accident. I heard from Chassidim 
that this great man who I personally knew was walking behind the coffin of his daughter mumbling and someone had the nerve to get close enough to hear someone had the audacity to get close enough to hear what he was mumbling and he was saying I Mendel Mendel where is the Askil Chabina when you need him? Where is the Askil Chabina, the letter I just referred to? Where is it when you need him? He was demanding of himself that this wasn't an intellectual study. This is life. Do you really believe in what you've learned? Where is it now in the ultimate moment of pain and suffering? Where is your perception now? So I just want you to know that this is not going to be easy. And making it practical is even going to become much more difficult. I want to talk to you about the source of pleasure and pain. Kabbalah has a very interesting concept. God is everything, God is good, so how can there be bad pain and suffering? And to understand this, we need to enter into a Kabbalistic realm, and it's not going to be easy, my friends, to understand that there are, of the seven emanations, the two strongest emotions and emanations with which God built the world is called, number one, kindness, number two, strictness. We simply perceive that kindness is all about revelation, kindness is all about the source of pleasure. Closeness, revelation, kindness. Strictness is the source of concealment. It's the source of withholding. We simply define withholding as the experience of pain, as the experience of suffering. When God withholds revelation, we're thrown into a state of confusion, darkness, pain, and suffering. Simple understanding. Yet I share with you a deeper understanding. The word for strictness is gebura. The word gebura actually means strength. Strength can be practiced and experienced in one of two ways. One way is, like I just told you, the strength to withhold. Not that I like to use this as a reference, but those of you who have seen Schindler's List, there's that moment where Schindler tells the German God that the true concept of power is to pardon and withhold, not to kill when you get angry. And you know, for those of you who saw that unfortunate scene, what the outcome was. Our normal understanding of Giburah, strength, is someone who has self-control and can contain himself and not get angry. That is powerful. That is strong. The power of strength, strictness, withholding. There's another perception of strength. One that's mentioned in Kabbalah. One that's mentioned in Hasidus. The power of Giburah is not withholding, but to so forcefully and overwhelmingly give to the point where the recipient is hurting. Have you guys just been with me in this moment? I'm giving you a different perception of Gibura. Gibura is not a strict teacher who doesn't give off an iota. Sometimes the definition of strictness and strength is to give in such overwhelming abundance 
that the person receiving it is in pain. I want to ask you a question. Have you ever loved? Have you ever experienced love to the point where it hurts? Because that's where we're going now. That may be just where we're going now. There is, in the world of Hasidus and Kabbalah, and he talks about it in both those places, there are two worlds. There is the revealed world, and there is the hidden world. The revealed world, I told you, comes from the emanations, starting with strictness and kindness, and if you know how to spell God's name, there are four letters, there's the Yud and the He, there's the Vav and there's the He. We're going to divide that name in half. Because the verse says, And the revealed is unto you and your children, while the hidden is unto God your Lord. In Kabbalah, that is the separation of the name vav and the part of yud vav is the revealed. It's the seven emanations which became the seven days of creation. While the upper experience of yud is hidden, it's the overwhelming encompassing power that cannot be experienced in revelation. When you are dealing with the type of pain that's not because you're feeling cold and lonely and unloved, but because your experience of love has reached such a degree where it is painfully scorching, it is overwhelming, smothering and suffocating. And I don't mean that in negative words where you're being a nudge or being nudged by your love. I'm talking about where you've slipped from the revealed world into the hidden world. And the definition of the word hidden world in this conversation is that the experience is way too powerful, overwhelming, that there are no vessels with which to define it in a constructive manner. We know through history, great artists, great people of abstract powers of experiences have lived such painful, hurtful lives. They've experienced where love becomes so painful that it's becoming harm. And the question is how could love, which is all about comfort and goodness, become pain and suffering? Because in the realm of this type of world, you have the revealed world where things are constructive. It's monitored. You ever watch your car? There is the green, the yellow, and the red. And when your RPMs or whatever that's called, goes into the red, it's either a cop is chasing you, you're trying to get away, or you better stop because you're going to burn out your engine. Plain and simple English. You are overburning. At this point, it's not constructive to you. It's painful and it's hurtful. Now, I want to go back to that question that the Altarebbe asked. And by the way, I want to just use this to share with you a definition of a verse. Ashrei, rejoice the person who is being suffering, experiencing suffering from God. And the word God there, he doesn't use the Yudke Vavke name. He's using the Yudke only. 
What did I just tell you about that? Rejoice he who is being pained, suffering by Yudke. Because the suffering of Yudke is not one where I'm hurting because I have too little. Because I don't feel close. But rather it is the suffering of I have too much. I am experiencing God way too close. That's the hidden world. That's what we're talking about here in these chapters when you talk about the concept of suffering and the al Rebbe asks, how could it even enter your mind that you are experiencing bad and suffering? I want to revisit that question, but now I want to tell you what the Alter Rebbe said right before that. I have to interrupt you. You're saying suffering is experiencing God too close? Yes, that's what I'm saying right now. I want to tell you something very interesting. The Alter Rebbe reaches this question after a very interesting meditation. And if you are conscious that the world and all its experiences is being brought into existence ex nihilo by God Almighty and here he gets more Kabbalistic in what term of God he's talking about Reishit Chachma the beginning of all ten spirit wisdom in its purest source sense which this is the source of all goodness and all pleasure it is the source of Garden of Eden now here hold on it is the source of Eden which is above Garden of Eden which upon that the verse says that only you yourself has your eye seen it. Imagine what level of overwhelming abundance of goodness and revelation we're talking about. It surpasses paradise, it surpasses Garden of Eden and then later in the chapter he's going to say it even surpasses the world to come. Eden. So this source is right this moment, every single second and moment, bringing into existence and creating every one of your experiences. Now listen to his question. How can it enter your mind that you're experiencing bad and suffering when you're conscious? of that every existence is being brought into existence sustained and created by the ultimate source of all goodness and pleasure that pleasure which is far overwhelming even for the eyes of the greatest righteous to perceive if you are conscious that the entire existence is all from God ultimately not even the vav of revelation but the yud of the hidden world the definition of strictness in the sense of giburah such an overwhelming forceful powerful revelation to the point where it's hurting that you're not dealing with bad I want to tell you a story Man studies in Talmud, attracting brachot. Just like you bless God for the good, so shall you bless God for the bad. He goes to his Rebbe, the great Masricha Magid, and says, Rebbe, can you please help me live that? I don't understand how that's humanly possible. 
and the Magid tells him, for this I'm going to send you to my pupil, disciple, Reb Zusha. Travel to Anapoli, find Reb Zusha, he will teach you this. And he travels and he goes to Anapoli and he asks for directions and the address to Reb Zusha's house. He's given directions and as he approaches Reb Zusha's hut, his, thing, his first thought is, wow, the Magid has definitely given me the right address to understand how to experience suffering. Knocks on the door, Rabzusha opens the door, lets him in, and every single corner of that house is screaming poverty and pain. The leaking roof, the stump, the tree stump of tables and chairs, the wife's coughing, the rift closing, the starving children, and he's thinking to himself, this is going to be a lesson. And Abzusha asks him, what brings you, my dear friend, to Anapoli? And he tells him, he reveals to him the question he asked the Magid and what the Magid answered him. Abzusha becomes very perplexed. And he says, I don't understand. Why would the Rebbe have sent you to me? I wouldn't know. I've never experienced a day of suffering in my life. <laughs> Rabzusha was not a man of games. Why couldn't Rabzusha accept that he was suffering, see it that he was suffering, and then go ahead and share with this person how he has so redefined the experience that presently he doesn't see it even as suffering? Can it possibly be that Rabzusha really never even saw that he was suffering? And how can this be humanly possible? And over here is all the teachings we're sharing from those two difficult pages in Tanya. When you realize that suffering is not the bad, it's not I'm suffering because it's bad. Ultimately there are only two types of experiences from God, good and better. And that is defined as revealed good, that which my mind can receive. I have vessels to experience it as pleasure. And then there are those moments of hidden good, which comes from the overwhelming, powerful experience of goodness that there is nothing that I can do to be able to receive it as pleasure. And therefore I experience it as pain and suffering. I was given the moment, so I got to wrap this up. Let me share with you like this. That from this perspective, the Kabbalistic understanding of the question, Soros, why God, why, has a whole new meaning. It's kind of God, why do you love me so much that it hurts? Why God, why? Suffering equals hidden worlds of goodness. Do you know if I were to tell you this question in the most simplest terms, it's you're asking God, God, I am a land creature. I can breathe and live pleasurably in the goodness of land and revelation. Why are you pulling me into the ocean, into the hidden worlds? I can't breathe. I'm choking, I'm drowning. 
that is the question from a Kabbalistic perspective of Taurus. Why God? Why? The answer. The answer is, and I need to be brief, and I'm sorry because this is really where it's all happening right now. But the answer is that the power of healing is, the cure to this suffering is, when you hear God answering that question of why are you pulling me into the water, I can't breathe, I'm drowning. To hear God tell you, yes you can. Stop breathing with the windpipe of the mind. Start using the gills of the heart. And here I need to explain you practically what that means. For you to be able to live in a pleasurable fashion within the overwhelming, over-empowering goodness of Hashem, you're going to need to transfer from focusing on how I am experiencing this to focusing on what am I experiencing. Remember the al question. If you realize that you are experiencing the yud more than the vav when you realize that what you are experiencing is the infinite good that may be experienced as suffering and pain, but stop focusing on how you are experiencing. Stop focusing on what you are experiencing. Rabzusha didn't see poverty. Rabzusha just saw and felt overwhelming love to the point where you and I might experience that as suffering because we're too busy focusing on how I am experiencing rather on what I am experiencing. Rabzusha felt nothing more than an infinite, overwhelming love of God. So if you want to know the cure to why God why on a Kabbalistic level, then the cure is to be able to shift from how am I experiencing to what am I experiencing. I am experiencing an overwhelming love of God. That can't be bad. But if I focus on how am I experiencing this, wow, this hurts. It hurts terribly. Guys, in this level I must, I must admit to you that I am swimming in waters over my head way too deep with way too strong currents for me. And yet we need to hold on to what the Al-Tarebbe is sharing with us. The simple answer is that when it comes to a point where God is overwhelming and overpowering you with love to the point where you feel that you're drowning, you're feeling pain within your mind, you're going to need to at this point transfer power of focus from the brain to the heart. You're going to need to now go ahead and transfer into the experience of the heart having faith that everything about God is good. Reveal good and hidden good. And when it feels like I'm hurting, shut down the brain and transfer into the heart of I believe, I have absolute faith that this is the experience of the overwhelming closeness to Hashem. Thank you, Hashem. Thank you. And in closing. It's interesting that when I finished typing this, 
I reflected on a email that I sent out this week. And interesting that at the bottom of the email, it was written there as it was, an after note, when I came back to the email to reconsider what I'm feeling. A story that happened here in Florida. He was actually for a while a Chabad rabbi in Florida. I need to, uh, I'm going to be brief, I need to go ahead and just re-verify the details, but this was the story. This man had a child who the doctors gave up on. He turned to the Rebbe, blessed memory, for blessings and advice, and the Rebbe actually gave medical advice. The Rebbe said to place his head, the brain, into a situation of lowered degrees of temperature, kind of like bring the brain up to a much colder level of temperature. Actually, the doctor said, what are you talking about? And he told the doctor, listen, you have no answers. You have nothing to lose. Let's do what the Rebbe said. That child was a principal when he grew up in Landau Yeshiva. I want to just tell you what this story meant to me for a moment. Sometimes, sometimes when you're experiencing a traumatic moment of the heart and the body, when you feel that you're suffering in pain, you're screaming out to Hashem, God, why, God, why? It may be sometimes best to take your brain out of the way for two reasons. Protect the brain cells and get the brain out of the way because you need the consciousness of the heart cells alone to remedy the situation. And therefore sometimes it's best to freeze your brain in absolute cold intellectual study of Torah. While normally I will be the one to tell you, always make sure that your intellectual study of Torah is within reach of the emotional capacity of the heart and this way it becomes a transition from intellect into life's experience. Today I'm telling you what my grandfather did after the Holocaust. That sometimes when the experience is so painful, it's so much suffering, stick your head into the icebox, get it safe, get it out of the way so that the heart and faith can do what only it can do. Start studying cold intellectual Torah and allow your heart to take over and just be able to experience and focus not on how am I experiencing but what am I experiencing with absolute faith that this, just, this isn't just goodness it isn't just revealed goodness it's an overwhelming burning scorching moment of love and thank you Hashem thank you I'm sorry guys I want to <laughs> Thank you. Go on.